So, not your normal, typical Mother's Day song. I get it. Um, uh, The reason we sang that song is it kind of fits where we're heading this morning. We're uh, talking in a series about Little White Lies. And part of what we're going to discuss today is how you determine if harm comes to somebody. It's all cool. It's all cool. Um, And so that song was talking about how people, well, this one person, was interacting with somebody and they were feeling harmed by them, begging for mercy, not because the other person intended to harm them. It was, it, um, there was another thing that was happening that was causing that to take place. So the question is, where does harm come from? And that's part of where we want to talk about today. But it doesn't really have a lot to do with Mother's Day. Um, there's very few traditions that Waypoint have. Here's one of them. Years back, uh, when Mother's Day came around, I, I had a great idea. I thought Tracy should do Mother's Day. And w- we've been doing it ever since, and I didn't think about it until like three or four years ago that I was asking her to work harder on a day that was supposed to celebrate her. Never even crossed my mind. Um, but th- the reason I thought, hey, this would be good is maybe it would be valuable to have a woman's voice on a day that honors women, but then this is the weird part. Uh, we don't um, often do a Mother's Day message I grew up in a church where I knew a lot, a lot of what was going to be spoke each time I went to church. There were certain things that you knew, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Labor Day, I mean, you name it. There were certain things you knew it was going to be talked about, and you knew what they were going to say. And so I have this, like, bent in me to change it up. And so, I mean, maybe a few times we've done that, but I've asked her to help me a bunch of different times, and this is one of those times. We're in the middle of a series on little white lies, about how if you accept a little lie into your life, it seems good, seems right, it can actually uh, impact your life in really negative ways. And so this morning uh, is one of those non-Mother's Day, Mother's Day talks, okay? And I'm Tracy, if you haven't guessed it. I am married to Blair. I get to be married to Blair. This is an honor and a privilege. (laughs) And today I'm joining him to touch a little bit differently on the series of the little white lies. Actually, I looked it up, and it comes from the ancient Western idea of polar opposites, so white being good and black being evil. And it was first found in a quote used in a 1741 Gentleman's Quarterly, and this is the statement. A certain lady of highest quality makes a judicious distinction between a white lie and a black lie. A white lie is that which is not intended to injure anybody in his fortune, interest, or reputation, but only to gratify a garrulous disposition and the itch of amusing people by telling them wonderful stories. Do you want to know what garrulous means? It means chatty or excessive talking. This is a gentleman's magazine about women. However, I think that we can use it across genders as little white lies go and grow like fishing stories about the one who got away. And as a mom, I can tell you that my children have also told me little white lies and very big, painful ones. And what I've learned over the years as a mom of five very different children is that they already knew how to lie. I didn't have to teach them. It's just like something they knew. And I can also tell you from experience that I don't like either kind. It actually twists my heart and it twists the trust that I have in them and it turns me into some sort of raging truth seeker. I want names, I want numbers, I want the truth. 
I get that a lie is self-protection, and if somebody says it or they would tell me, it would expose them and they might be in trouble. But it actually hides who they really are, their real intentions, motives, and it leaves suspicion in its place. So off I go like Nancy Drew or Chixie Belden to find those real intentions or actions. The lie we're going to talk about this morning, you'll recognize in the voices of kids or students that you've been around, but let's be honest. Um, I've said it and thought it myself, and I've talked to lots of adults who've had this same lie operating in their lives. I think it starts when you're young, and it develops into something as you get older, because um, when you're young, it just seems to make logical sense. You've considered all the possibilities... And when you come to your conclusion, you just think, this is reasonable. This is a reasonable decision I've made. And here's the lie. Here's the lie that gets told based on the decision that you just made. I'm not hurting anyone. If I'm not hurting anyone, this should be okay. Now, I, I wish a lot of people in society would stop and just use that. This is, this is the part that's the little white part. There's something really good about that question. And if you're making a decision or a choice that ends up harming or hurting other people, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. This idea of I'm not hurting anyone has big ideas baked into it. How do I interact with society? How do I engage with a community of people that I find myself with? But it also has things like your purpose involved in it too. And when the measurement is simply, I'm not hurting anyone, then why can't I do whatever I want? The scriptures record a story in Daniel where there are four lives that this actually plays out. They make a choice, and we're going to learn about why they made that choice. The characters in this story make the choice that seems to only affect them. And when you hear the story, you could say, yeah, what's the big deal? The only people that it's involving is them. It's only hurting them. So what's the big deal? The book of Daniel in the Tanakh records a story about Daniel and his three friends. Their home country had lost a war with Israel, and now they're under the king of Babylonian. They are taken as captives and become slaves. Some of the kids in this time were of royalty or nobility. They were educated, and so they were taken into a different program to use their skills and develop their skills for three years to see if they would then in turn be able to support the king of Babylon. Here was an opportunity for these guys to influence a king and have a decent life in slavery. She almost got that all right. <laughs> they are Israelites, <laughs> and they were attacked by another country. It's not the opposite way around, but we, you get the idea, right? They've been hauled away into Babylon, and they have three years. They're put in a program, and they have three years to either succeed and become servants of the king, or their lives are going to be terrible. Now, you have to understand, these guys are slaves, we know that because their names were changed. Um, ancient Babylon did that as a practice. You enslave somebody and you change their name to tell them you're totally dominated. Your culture's gone. You don't even have the same name from your culture. You have our culture now. So all of that has taken place. And these guys, these guys are set up that if they can succeed, they're going to have a decent life. And almost immediately, they run into a problem with food. Food, food was a big problem in the ancient world in a lot of different ways. You'll see it all throughout the scriptures causing um, spiritual difficulties at time with people. But it was difficult for people in the ancient world to have enough food to eat. Now, especially if you're a slave. In the ancient Roman world, 
you didn't have to actually feed your slave. And it was pretty common for a slave to go for several days without eating. And, uh, and they had a, a way of taking care of that so that eventually they wouldn't starve to death. But you weren't necessarily responsible for them. In Babylonian times, the laws were different, and you had to require some food, something to eat. Um, so maybe it's uh, like ramen noodles. It's not really good for you, but you probably could survive. I know college students who have. They survived on that. It's not the best thing. Or rice and beans, and that's all you get. But that's not um, what's happening with Daniel and his friends. They have an opportunity to eat really good food. The scriptures actually call it choice food, which is if you have three years to do your best so that you can actually be trained to serve the king, then you, you want to be at your peak. And this food probably would have helped them do that. They would have been getting good meat, good stuff. They said wine. They would have had some good food. But here, this is what Daniel says when he's offered this. Uh, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in any way. He needs food. Is it really going to hurt anyone if he eats it? What's the problem? Daniel reveals that the problem is the potential to be defiled. Historians agree that the meat that he would have been given would have first been offered to the gods of the Babylonians. It would have taken, it would have taken off the altar, then delivered to the king's household. And as a religious Jew, Daniel and the others knew this had implications if they ate the food. Number one, your strength could be credited to the God that the meat was sacrificed to. And number two, you might have to participate in wild pagan rituals or celebrations related to that food. And here's the rub. Daniel still loved God, the God of his mother, his father, and his nation. And he doesn't want to do anything that would align himself with this new land's God. He we know later in life that he decides that he will eat choice food at another time. But right here, right now, he gives up the comfort that food brings and leans into listening to God's voice. Because in verse 3 it says, I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. Daniel's not opposed to eating choice food. He simply chooses not to eat food that was sacrificed to another god. I mean, the question that comes to mind, okay, Daniel cares about God. Does God care? Does God care if he eats this or not? He's in a foreign land. His back is up against the wall. If he completes this three years of duty, he could end up in a great position as a slave with some honor and respect. He, he could be okay. Is, is God really opposed to him doing that? We know uh, we would look ahead and say, listen, you can see where Jesus eventually says, it's not the stuff that comes into your body that defiles you, it's what's already in your heart that does. And we find Peter and Paul both experiencing things where God changes the cleanliness rules and says, listen, what was once clean is okay for you to eat now. And, and the rules kind of change. So you have to look at his circumstance and go, is this something that God would really care about? I mean, because he's, he's up against it here. But the reason... It's quite likely that God still cared about this as, as Daniel would have been taught from the Torah. 
would have had this drilled in his head from a young child. And he would have remembered what the Torah said in Exodus chapter 34, verse 12. This is about Israel, who's about to go into the land that God had promised. And he gives them a warning. He says, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. He's warning them about things that will create a snare in your life, trip you up, cause you problems. And in verse 15, it says, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And that problem of sacrifices was what God was trying to deal with. So I wonder when God, or when Daniel went before God and really sought his direction, if he was reminded about the warnings that we talked about earlier. Eating this food invited participation in a foreign, um, pagan, sometimes sexual ritual. It also showed a desire for a blessing or strength from another God that wasn't real. God knew the greater implication of the slippery slope that could be happening, and he knew that Daniel could become ensnared. And that is never God's desire for us, that we become ensnared to things. We know later in Scripture that Paul tells us that food offered to non-existent gods is no big deal. It can be eaten without worry. But right now, right here, Daniel is living under the law in Exodus. And he knew that it would defile the testimony of the true God in his life. And so he said no. We see Daniel saying, um, you know what? I'm not hurting anyone, but I'm still saying no, which is weird for us. Because I'm not hurting anyone. For us, uh, we get our definition of harm really simply. We look around at the decision or choice that we might make, and we say, if there's no direct or immediate impact based on what I'm about to do, then it's no big deal. It's no big deal when I log on at home and nobody's around. I'm not hurting anyone when I get on this computer and do whatever. If the two of us agree together to do this thing, I'm not hurting them, they're not hurting me, what's the big deal? And we have all of these things where we're like, we're measuring the direct and immediate, but I'm telling you right now, there was no direct and immediate consequence for Daniel against anybody else if he would have eaten this. In fact, if Daniel would have looked around, he would have noticed that out of the hundreds that were taken from Israel, only four, him and three friends, had decided not to eat this food. I mean, the other white lies, it could have been spinning around that time as everybody else is doing it, right? This, this can't be harmful. Go for it. And yet, he chooses not to. So his definition couldn't have been, is this direct and immediate? Because there's apparently no direct and immediate implications. So it makes you start to wonder what Daniel was looking at. Daniel was looking at something that as a mom that I hoped my own kids would do. He was looking inside. Daniel considered, would this hurt me? Because he knows if he hurts himself, then he's still defiling God because he's defiled and then he will change. And that change hurts him and it spills into others' lives. When I first saw what Blair wanted to talk about this morning in the scripture that he used, it took me back to a place um, where I really had struggled with some depression and some suicidal thoughts. I was a mom. I can't remember if I had four or five kids at the time. We had gone to North Carolina to visit his parents. It had not gone well. I don't know if we were arguing or just silence. I don't know what was going on. I just remember feeling this overwhelming thought that I am not a good mom. 
it would be better if my life was over and they could have a different and a different wife because I'm not always the greatest wife either. So I remember struggling with that thought. And inside my head, I heard this, I will not defile myself. I had read that scripture earlier in the morning um, with Daniel. And my hand was on the door handle of the van. We had this big old van. that we, And I remember thinking, just open it. Just get out. Just roll. Just go. It'll be over. Nobody will care. They'll be better off. And there was this verse I will not defile myself. It just kept getting stronger. I will not defile myself. I will not defile myself. So for about five hours out of that 12-hour trip, I was caught between that door to the other world and the one that God wanted me in to stay and fight through whatever it was. And God used that scripture at that time to let me know that he loved me and it was okay. I'm not hurting anyone. But what about you? Maybe a good question for you to figure out if you're actually hurting yourself or not is to ask this question. What purpose did God make me for? Am, am I fulfilling that purpose? I, I heard a guy um, by the name of Tim Keller talking about this a little bit. And he said it would look pretty weird uh, for somebody if they were to take off their watch, um, pick up a nail, go over to a board, and decide to drive that nail into the board with their watch. If, if I did that, what would happen? I would destroy my watch. And you would think it was odd if I looked at you upon destroying the watch and said, what a piece of junk. You'd, you'd stop and say, no, no, no. The watch isn't the problem. You misused it. And you broke it. Sometimes we misunderstand God's guidance, directions, and instructions to us. We think he's trying to limit us, harm us, mess with us. And what he's trying to do is give you some understanding for what the purposes that you were created for. And when you line up with those, it's healthy and good. And when you go away from that, you can destroy you. You can mess yourself up. And here's the truth about this. You think, well, that's, the, that's okay because I didn't harm the nail and I didn't harm the board. What's the problem? Well, if you've destroyed you... The implications are for society and for community is that the person that you were meant to be, the person that God created you to be in the first place, that broken person isn't there for that community. Let's just get real straight. If Tracy jumps out of our van, her kids don't have a mom, I don't have a wife, and stuff changes. And she could reason all she want, that all she did was hurt herself, the nail on the border, fine. But the reality is, when you hurt you, when you step away from the purposes that God has made for you, they will always spill over onto other people that you're connected to. It's just the way it works. Daniel also considered someone else in this scenario. He knew the scriptures, and he knew in his heart, spirit, and soul that if he chose to defile himself, it would harm his relationship with God. The white lie that it won't hurt anyone rarely considers our connection back to God. What if it's only God that's looking? It just looks at the nail, the board, and the watch, but rarely the God who created it all. When Daniel used the word defiled, he was referring to a sense that he would lose a sense of cleanliness or wholeness, being whole before God, wholly who he was, 
This would have caused a separation between him and God. And yeah, the nail and the board and the watch maybe would be okay. You could get it fixed. But the relationship with God would not have been. Daniel gave up the right to eat earthly food with his earthly king in exchange for heavenly time with his heavenly king. Daniel considered God, and he could not conclude that there was no harm. So there's two other measures. <clears throat> are you hurting you? Are you hurting God, your relationship with God? Those, those are important. There's another one that I don't, I don't think that Daniel had this in mind. I can't, the word defile implies the other two. There's a lot of stuff that you can do to find it's about him, it's about him and God being defiled that would be a problem. But this other one unfolds over Daniel's life. And I love the fact that there's so much about him in the scriptures as his story unfolds because you can see how this works. Daniel makes a decision early on, early on in the program and says, I can't let this defile myself. And what he did was he built a foundation because later in his life, he's gonna be asked to bow a knee to a false god and he's gonna refuse it. And he's gonna be thrown in a fire with his friends and survive that. And you know why he had the guts to do that? Because he had the guts to stand up before his convictions before. And through his whole story, you will find a guy who ends up being used greatly by God to communicate to these foreign kings the voice of God, the warnings of God into their lives. Why? Because he made a decision here that had a ripple effect down here. When, when I make decisions based on immediate and direct harm, and I don't consider the possibility of 10 years, 20 years, 40 years down the, la down the way, you're missing out on what God might wanna do in your life. You're like, man, if I make a mistake, I could be missing out, yes. And God loves you and would come to you and fix that and repair that. But during that time, you could miss out on opportunities that God would have you to stand for his kingdom. And that takes place because you know your decisions aren't just about the direct and immediate. They're also about your future and what you're building, who you're becoming as a whole person. And that stuff is stringed together over time, just like it was in Daniel's life. See, the little white lie part of this, I'm not hurting anyone, it's a really good question. It just has to take more into account than the direct and immediate. It ought to take into account, are you hurting you? Could this damage your relationship with God? Is this gonna mess with my future? All of that stuff should be on the table. So I propose that we change the little white lie definition in the Gentleman's Quarterly and that God would have mercy on our souls. As a certain follower of Christ, you and I, we will make no distinction between a white lie and a black lie. Neither will we lie to gratify the itch of amusing people with false stories because it breaks trust with others, it hides who we really are, it changes or destroys the story of who we were created to be, and it steals harmony now and in the future with our creator. So let's not fall into the trap that lies do not harm others. Will you join me in rewriting this definition and living that way? Okay, I'm just gonna pray. God, so many things got bubbled up and I just ask that your spirit would come and you would 
reach into our hearts and remind us what it is that you want us to hear. Remind us where you want our hearts to be before you. And that is open and broken and vulnerable and willing to face the little white light that we tell each other, our spouses, our kids, our friends, our teachers, our coaches. God, it's not just about defiling because of food. It can be anything, a number of things. And so I ask that you would be the God who looks down with mercy, who brings those truths into the light, that you would shine and radiate your warmth, that we would not be afraid of you or afraid of getting in trouble, but instead wanting so desperately to be restored to you, we will come. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit and allow him to wrestle with our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.